This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hi, Avrin Maggie. I'm so good. How are you? I am great. I am so happy to be with you right now recording this. Same. I uh, am excited for what we're doing today. I'm just excited to see your face. I, I know. Love I know. Me too. Oh, my God. It's been a hell of a week for me, man. Man, I think you should tell the ROM criminals about your week. I, When you told... Um, we are, have this like friend group chat thing. And yes. when you mentioned that for... The second child's birthday party, it was going to be 29 kids. Yeah, I was like, yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I have to end, I have to end our, you know, our ROMs and our crimes. So like each week, so I'm Vanya, I'm the ROM, I love rom-coms. I also like rom-droms, I also like rom-whores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I like anything with a little bit of, I even like a little porn, guys. I mean, it's, just, it's gotta be soft. But it's I like it. romantic rom. Exactly. Thank you, rom yeah, rom it porn. Exists, right. I have rom no porn. idea. To be honest with you, I haven't dabbled for years. But <laughs> I would be into it if it was the right thing. But anyways, I like the roms. And so you know, when we we start our little podcast out, guys, we're gonna tell you something a rom that happened to us this week or crime. I'm gonna start with a crime, and then I'm gonna let you do your rom and crime, and then I'm gonna end with my rom because. It's okay. going to lead into my thing. I like thing, it. So I like gonna, it. I love that Start I'm setting it up. Start with your crime. No, but my crime is this week, which is mm-hmm. I just, to all those people out there who think they might want to have children, do yourself a favor and try, if, if, more than one child, try to have <laughs> them not in the same month because- Practically the same week in your case, yeah, right? No, it is. They're five days apart. And yeah. I, you know what's weird? Because I've actually talked to, you know, I'm deep in the in the throes of parenthood where I talk to moms and dads and a lot of people, I feel like a lot of women are f- like fertile in a, in a certain time of year. Because a lot of mm. women I know, like I met a mom who has four of her children the same in July. That must suck. Wow. But anyway, so that, I have that two. That really oh, is man. interesting. That's, <laughs> but you know, and obviously we we get romantic more than just once in a while or in that certain. So whatever. We have two, I have two kids and they're like five days apart in September. So where we're at 
it was a heat wave last week and it was like 110 oh degrees. It was goddamn hot. And my sweet, hilarious, and um, maybe chip off the whole block wanted to, my, my older daughter, my daughter turning nine, wanted to do a murder mystery party party i'm obsessed i'm obsessed it's very I cute just, i love her so much i know and she you know what the thing is is i mean obviously she's my kid so i'm like oh, i love her she's the best but she is hilarious and she's like so thoughtful and she's like was thinking about what how how she wanted to be a detective and like you know and like do all the i was like okay honey i'm down for it but like you know, maybe your friend's parents won't be like murder is not great. Yeah. So we switched that up and we did like a detective party and it was great, but it was a lot of kids in our home. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, holy. And then on the weekend that was, we did it on her birthday proper. So we're like, then my son's birthday, who's turning five, we're like this weekend we'll throw a pool party, which is in our neighborhood. We have the community pool. So it's like, you know, it's, easy it's not peasy. my house. It's a, it's an exterior place to go. The activity is built in and it's awesome. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? It effing rained on Saturday, which God bless Los Angeles needs the rain. Mm-hmm. We sure do. But what a bummer. Oh yeah, my God. That'd have been much easier. Cause didn't you do a pool party last year? Like a joint one for both of them? I did. I did. And that was super chill and easy. It was, it was great. But this year, didn't happen. So my crime is don't have kids in the same month. Uh, and then secondly, <laughs> it actually ended up being really, really fun. It ended up being really great. Yeah. So, but we did. We had sixty people in our home. Holy! Shit. And here's here's I know. Average. <gasps> oh, yeah, because I guess each one of those twenty nine kids came with at least one. At parent. least one. Sometimes two. And I I invited everybody because we're I. You know what? You know me, Avril. Yeah, like Adam and I love a party. We love a party, and it was actually joyful. My parents were here. My mom and dad helped set up and cook and do all the things. It was really great. It really was. But in that vein, I have a wedding of one of my best friends from college coming up in a couple of days. And if anybody in my house gets COVID, I swear to God, I'm gonna murder <laughs> us all. I'm kidding. Like this is not evidence. I'm not really gonna murder anybody. I'm just gonna be really disappointed. So yeah, let's hope no one gets it because. You know, we leave on Thursday. God help us. <laughs> Everything's think, fine. It's great. Everything's I think that's, great. Uh, I'm sure you're going to be just fine. And also how much fun to get to I know. go on a little trip. I know. I know. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I'm Avrin the crime here. Yeah, you are. But I am going to start with my ROM. <laughs> and uh, my ROM is, it just, I, I just have to say thank you so much to all of the fabulous, wonderful, like family and loved ones yes. in my life. I had the most incredible birthday experience. I turned 40. Dirty 40. I drove across <laughs> the border into the cartel heartland. That's true. The, you did. We did it. I know you guys probably were like, did they go? Yeah. Unless you know me personally and then you, you have my Instagram and you know that I went. But um, we went. We had the most amazing time. Um. I got like the best gifts from all of my loved ones. Um, I'm getting a wonderful trip from my husband, a trip that I've wanted to take my whole life. Yes. Um, you and Samara and Ashley gave me just the most thoughtful, amazing gift and the most thoughtful, amazing letters. And then all my sisters, not just traveled, you know, but we just, it's just amazing. So I, I just it. gushy, gushy, gush. I'm feeling so much love. It felt very rejuvenating. That's good. I was telling you this, Vanya, to be like, remember what it's like to be surrounded by a bunch of people you love. Yeah. Because it's been so long. Right. You know? And I kind of got out of the habit of seeking that shit out. Yeah. I hear you and on then, that. And then I, I was back in it and I was like, right, this is my happy place. Right. 
My happy place is with people, not alone in my apartment listening to audiobooks. Which I, I do understand. Like that too. Yeah, yeah. I really do like that too. But it's, you know, it's not my happy place. I, but and I think that's fair. I, I feel yeah. like everybody's coming out of this, like truly coming out of, obviously we still have to be careful in these, uh, but like, I really, really feel like finally I, knock on wood because I, but like, I agree. There's things where I'm like, oh my God, did I need or want this? Did I hear a knock on your door when I said knock on wood? Did you just knock on wood? I knocked wood? on the wood and now my dog is going, whoo, whoo, <laughs> if you can hear Well, him. I appreciate it that you are. Sorry, Brody. There's nobody here. But anyways, me. I'm with you. I love you, Brody. Yeah. You're a big boy. You're oh, your, it's okay, buddy. You're a good it's okay. dog. Oh my yes, God. you are. So funny. He's like, he does not even barking because no one's come in right now because it was me knocking on the table, but he does this like, whoo. I know like he's so bark. he's so it's brave. Big, tough I know. Go <laughs> Guys, I think chair. we know our next podcast is going to be about dogs, but whatever. Yeah. No, I'm just gonna <laughs> probably we'll st- we'll do like a, a spinoff podcast. We'll just it's called Dog, dog Detectives. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then my Sorry. crime, yes, my me. crime is the heat, man. I mm. work, I work in an outdoor Damn. patio bar, y'all, and I have to tell you that I don't remember ever i'm sure it's not true i'm sure at some other point in my life i was very uncomfortable and hot and sweaty and gross but i felt like every day i would leave feeling more disgusting than i'd ever felt and then the next day i would somehow top myself i was like i "I can't i can't do this it's so hot my but yeah speaking of dogs dogs can't go out and play yeah it's been rough energy it's been rough Cause yeah, I mean, I know it's even worse for you guys are. Yeah, like hot. we were only by like ten more hit, degrees. Yeah, so at like least. we only hit we hit one oh seven or one oh nine, which is insane. That's pretty bad. I yeah. mean, that's really <laughs> hot. But I feel like there are certain parts that were hitting one fourteen. That's what it, on her my daughter's birthday. I think it was like one twelve or something. Which Mm-mm. where I come Mm-mm. from in Washington State. Hi y'all in Tri Cities, Washington. If you're listening, I love you all. Um, but yes, it gets gosh darn hot there, especially. Well, we could. This could be a whole other podcast. But there, there's a thing called the boat races that happens in July. It's like hydroplane, Ooh. but every week, usually that week is over hundreds. But okay, so I've experienced it before. But man, it's not. But fun. you're on a boat at least, right? Yeah. Well, usually people are in their thong bikinis with their big '80s hair in the water, sipping oh, a that Budweiser. Just delightful. <laughs> I want to be sitting in water with my big 80s hair oh my God. not a thong though because it's is it a river or a lake it's or a ocean? river it's pretty nasty but i do remember yeah. being a kid walking because my parents would always take us for like the m- earlier because it would get apparently would get real rowdy but i do yeah, remember yeah. seeing like my first thong as like a child and walking by and i'd be like oh my god anyways yeah okay so so gr- my my rom mm-hmm. is maybe i'm a dork but i think if y'all know me well, you know I love a summer blockbuster, okay? Yes, she do. I do. Yes, she do, guys. I do. I love a big movie. Right now. I could literally, I could go to a movie every single week. Like, if I didn't have kids, I would do it. I would go, but even by myself. I'm one of those people, I can go to a movie by myself and have a blast. I mean, I like Ditto, to go with friends, but I do, I love to be, I'll, I'll laugh hard. I don't give a shit. I'll drink my, yeah. I'll eat my popcorn. Anyways, so I saw with my husband, mm-hmm. I saw... And and I know people are gonna think I'm a dork. And my one of my best friends, Mike Jensen, has not seen the first one. Okay, now I'm just gonna tell you. Ta- can what? you? I know. Okay, so I'm gonna first. I'm gonna tell Mike you. Jensen. What the? H? How is that possible? I know because there's cute sweaty boys all over the no, place. No, but I mean he's. He, I feel like he's seen everything. every movie. I know. I know. Okay, so I'm talking about guys. 
Top Gun Maverick. That's right, the second installation of the Top Gun series. This is what I saw. This is my rom. I goddamn loved it. It stars, of course, Tom Cruise, of course. Mm-hmm. In the film, he plays Maverick, and he's like he confronts his he's confronting his past while he's training a group of younger Top Gun graduates um, for you know it's like for a dangerous mission, including the son of his deceased friend. Well, I'm so stoked for you to cover this because I think I already told you this, but I have only seen part of this movie. Oh. Because I was invited by another really wonderful friend that happened to be in L.A. like right after I got back from the birthday trip who invited me to the Golden Girls Kitchen in Beverly Hills. Amazing. Which, if you know me, you know that's like a dream scenario for me. And it was so much fun. And I caught home pretty late probably actually like around midnight and um I come in and my husband's home he's watching a movie and he presses pause and he starts rewinding and I'm like what are you doing he's like um, I rented Top Gun Maverick I'm not going all the way back to the cheesy stuff in the beginning but I'm going to start this cool action sequence over for you yeah and he, doesn't talk, he doesn't talk like that at all that is not <laughs> a good I don't know why that was my that's the audiobook listening it's going too far I'm like this is a man's voice um my, my husband doesn't sound anything like that so I've only seen the movie from basically the dangerous mission that they're being trained for. Oh, dang, for. yeah. So I saw like the last 35 minutes okay. of the movie. It's good. So I'm excited to hear what happened before. Oh, my God. And okay. it was very entertaining, I have to say. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say there are no spoilers pretty much because I want you guys, if you haven't seen it, I want you to see this movie because it's so... I was such a fun ride. I didn't... I went in thinking this is going to be shit. This is not going to be good. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, Tom Cruise is crazy. I'm not doing this. He looks so good, which I'm just like, what the hell? I mean, of course, his job is to look good every day. Like, mm-hmm. But he has a very fit physique and not in a way where you're like, I don't know. He just really takes care of himself. But obviously, like I said, he has probably like a team of 20 that just take care sure, of sure. his eyebrows. You yeah, know, it's, it's like his, it's part of his job to look. But like it Tom worked. Cruise, All man. of it worked for me. Um, it, the movie starts out and he's like a test pilot for this like really expensive plane that's trying to get into the stratosphere, you know, like oh, into the oh, orbit. Okay. Right. And yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. But at court, of course, at the, this may be a. A spoiler, but truthfully, I mean, if you know Maverick, he mm-hmm. he tests, he pushes the boundaries, and he he destroys the goddamn billion-dollar plane. Oh no, mm-hmm. he ruins it. Mm-hmm. So does he get fired? Well, here's what happens because he's besties with um, Iceman. Remember in the first one, Val Kilmer plays. Oh yeah, Iceman. I sure do. That's right. He lands this gig. Training the hotshots, you know, the, those top guns, those graduates, um, because now Iceman is like the head of it and he's an older man. And by the way, they do a really honestly, they do a really good job with Val Kilmer's voice loss. Did, if you haven't watched the documentary about him, do it. It's called Val. Oh. It's on Prime. It's really honestly, it's heart wrenching, but it's it's amazing about Val Kilmer where what happened to him he like has no vocal cords but they do such a good job in this movie about it <gasps> okay I will I, I've heard about that documentary and I will definitely check that out that sounds cool. I think it's for sure, it but is fascinating but it's very fascinating and I think that right there with that real thing that I knew about that made this movie really like Real yeah. for me, like I, I, this is just added to the love of it for me. Okay, I'm just gonna. This say is her it. rom, y'all. This yeah, is her this is my rom, rom yo. Um, Literally so, and 
for the pod. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, literally and for the pod. Okay, so there's like a bunch of fun moments and callbacks to the first movie. He has a sweet yet not so steamy love affair with the Admiral's daughter, Jennifer Conley, Ooh. who plays Penelope, Penny, Benjamin, um, which, you know, it's like a rekindled love interest, which I don't know if you remember, it's mentioned like there's a line in the first one about him getting in trouble with the, cor- uh, with the Admiral's daughter. In the, in the first Top Gun. Uh, Anyways, I thought, brilliant, love it, it's Penny. Yeah, good callback. Jen Connolly kills it. She's playing a single mother who's a bar owner, <laughs> which nice. uh, she is way too relaxed to be a bar owner, by the way. So I need, actually, I, I need you to watch the whole movie. I bought it, so you can come over, we can watch it again. I don't mind watching it again. That's how much I like the movie, right. which is kind of weird, but I mean it. But yeah, there's, there's times where the, it's weird, like, it, there's a policy at the bar where if you set your cell phone on the bar or something about the bar, then you owe the the whole bar a drink, round of drinks. Something about like not using your cell phone. I don't really know the whole deal about it, but it's kind of crazy. He ends up owning, owing like, I mean, it would have had to be a thousand dollars or something. Anyways, she's just way too relaxed as a bar owner and she's always smiling. Except for that she's like, forcing people to buy Oh, people would not be nice. People in a real bar situation, like you and what I. What do you mean? I can't pull my cell phone out in a bar. It was something crazy. You got to watch it though, because okay. here's the thing: we could do a side. We'll do just like a Patreon only. I know, uh, but like I'm just, uh, we could go off on just the bar sequences in this, which of course I haven't seen. So yes, oh, we can definitely. You got to see. You got to see. Okay, so I'm 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 fully obsessed with the guy, the actor Miles Teller, who plays Goose's son. He's so Rooster. good, Vanya. Oh my god. I did get to make like a very pointed joke coming into the movie as late as I did. Really? But I was like, wait, Goose's kid is Rooster? <laughs> of course it is. And then I made another joke where I was like, Rooster will always be the bad guy from Annie. And my <laughs> husband looked at me like, I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth right now. Oh my God, I love it. Did you know that I play Lily St. Regis in, a mu- in the musical, Annie? I did not. I danced the shit out of it and I sang as best I could. But anyways, I bet you Rooster, I love it. Um, no, okay, so Miles Teller, so good. He plays Goose's son, and all I, all I thought was, oh my God, can you say mustache ride, and where can I get a fast pass? Because he <laughs> looks really good with the mustache. He's really cute. And I know he's not that young, so I'm like, I can have sexual feelings yes. towards Rooster. He's, it's fine. He's in his what, like, at least 20s. Yeah, upper 20s, I'm sure of it. It's upper fine. Upper 20s. Uh, meet in the middle. I love it. So uh, to oh. me, this whole movie is, there's the crazy scenes of of them, him training the people. You go into the pit of despair. He like comes back. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers what happens. You saw the last 35 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they never tell you like who you're, who the dangerous mission is against. Like in my mind, it was like probably would have been Russia, but it, they never felt, say it. They don't. Right, they don't have to. It's but definitely it not like felt, Iran or it anywhere. Felt like, it felt like Russia. Yeah, but but they, like I said, it, I think the fact that they, they really, it's vague is actually kind of cool. Um, it's thrilling. It's exciting. It's clench your butthole, suspenseful. And there's a beach dogfight football scene that made me giggle with delight. And also, that's where I was like, I was like, Jesus, Tom Cruise. Like, yeah. well, like they had to throw back to that. Like, they did. The original ones, the volleyball, the volleyball right? scene. Yeah. Which was like the scene that set all the hearts. And this is why I don't can't believe that Mike hasn't seen this movie. Anyways, See it's it, fine. Like, but yeah, so it also has a great soundtrack. It does, person. it does, it does. And this one is fine. They they have the main song, um, you know, the intensity, through the danger zone. Danger zone. Yeah. So okay. So it may not be a true rom com, but it's got the rom, it's got the drum, and a teensy bit of calm. All in all, I fucking love this film, Top Gun Maverick, y'all. 
amazing. I'm I have to watch. You're right. I guess if you have to buy it, right? If yeah, you do the streaming. I so own we, it, I must so own can, I must own it too cuz my husband was Oh yeah, you couldn't rent house. it. Yeah. So I must own it as well. <laughs> um I will totally watch it. I'm very excited. I Of course when you asked me about doing this one, I was like, "Oh, easy." I mean, uh, war crimes alone, it's true. am I right? It's true. But I was like, obviously I'm not going to go that direction, but then I thought, let me look into like Navy or Air Force true crime stories. Yes. And I, I definitely found some things that I was like, I could make this work. But all I kept thinking about in the back of my mind while I was researching uh, crimes related to military or Navy or pilots even, you know. Right. Was like, what is what is Vanya like the most? Ah, oh, to I'm the excited. true crime genre. Oh my God, I'm excited. And what, what Vanya likes the most, because I could tell your enthusiasm for this movie was like so legit that I was like, all right, that's another tie-in I'm going to do. I'm going cult. Yeah. I'm going Scientology, baby. Oh, shoot. Because Tom Cruise is obviously the most famous face of Scientology. Dang. And... The thing about Scientology is I went with one specific true crime-esque story. There are several you could choose from. I'm sure there are multiple podcasts that just talk about Scientology. Probably. Uh, Yeah. So I will, just in case, you know, somebody doesn't know what it is, I did two separate ways of describing Scientology. So the first one I'll read to you is how Scientology.org, so Scientologists themselves, how they describe okay what Scientology okay. is because okay. I hate we got to show both sides right gotta that's show true it's for at least for now <laughs> okay yeah. so oh also I'm just gonna say this ahead of time so I don't forget my sources uh for research was Scientology.org mm-hmm. Wikipedia obviously yeah <laughs> all things interesting but I would say 99% of what I'm gonna tell you today I learned in Vanity Fair's 2014 article titled Scientology's Vanished Queen, written by Ned Zeman. Okay. Okay. So Scientology.org says that uh, developed by L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology is a religion that offers a precise path leading to a complete and certain understanding of one's true spiritual nature and one's relationship to self, family, groups, mankind, all life forms, the material universe, the spiritual universe, and the supreme being. That's a lot of things. It's a lot. Uh, Scientology addresses the spirit, not the body or mind, and believes that man is far more than a product of his environment or his genes. Scientology comprises a body of knowledge which extends from certain fundamental truths. Prime among these are man is an immortal spiritual being. His experience, why is it just dudes? Sorry, his experience Mm, extends mm, well beyond mm. a single lifetime. His capabilities are unlimited, even if not presently realized. So while that sounds very like, woohoo, we're eternal beings and blah, 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 it doesn't sound as nuts as I feel like most people kind of assume science. Well, that's how people get into it because it sounds kind of good. It's like, yeah. Hum- humankind, any animals, like we want to make unlocking this world a good place. All of your, and unlocking all of your untapped potential. Right. But that sounds also a lot like cults and not religion. My personal opinion. Okay, so right. here are, now not from Scientology.org. I think I got some of these from All Things Interesting and probably Wikipedia as well. All right, so here's just some of the craziest things that are taught and believed in the practice of Scientology. So, okay. 
tell me if I'm going too fast. Because <laughs> oh, when no. I have it written down, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I love it. So according to L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology's fundamental creation myth, so that it's Genesis, if you will, like from the Bible. Okay. You see how I did that? Yes, yes, yes. Their, it's their uh, creation myth goes something like this. Okay. Zenu, also sometimes referred to as Zimu, was once ruler of the Galactic Confederacy, an ancient organization of 76 planets. Having existed for 20 million years, the planets were struggling from extreme overpopulation. Fearing he'd be thrown out of power, Zenu gathered billions of his people, froze them to capture their souls, a.k.a. their um, Thetans, and transported them to Earth, which was then called Tijiak, I think I'm saying that right, for elimination. He dumped them at the bottom of volcanoes and then destroyed them in a series of nuclear explosions, killing all but a few and sending their souls into the air. Once in the air, the souls were captured by Xenu, who then implanted them, oh, sorry, who then implanted into them misleading information, including concepts related to all of the world's religions. After all this evil was carried out, Xenu was eventually imprisoned and Earth was left to be a mere prison planet by the Galactic Confederacy. Now, that's their origin story. That's their creation myth. But it should be noted that Scientologists are not permitted to learn this story until they have advanced well into the church's ranks. And ipso facto spent thousands of dollars to do so Mm -hmm. because it costs money to rise up in the church. So because of such uh, because of such value, the church will routinely deny the existence of this story to outsiders or even low-level church members, but once you reach a certain level, then you are shared the truth about Xenu wow. and the Galactic Confederacy. Okay. So this, uh, the frozen Thetans that I mentioned, or Thetans of Xenu, they play a huge role in Scientology's beliefs. Each human has their own Thetan, and Scientologists strive to purify these spirits through auditing sessions oh, read Avrin through auditing sessions until they reach a state <laughs> until they reach a state of clear audit have you are you familiar with some of this oh, stuff i feel like girl, totally you know i lot. am i've watched so I was like, many you probably watched all of them i love it so auditing is one of the central practices of scientology in which practitioners are cleared of negative influences called engrams to heighten spiritual awareness and, and access untapped potential The Church of Scientology has stated the procedure is 100% effective as long as it is done properly and the recipient is truly seeking change. Happily for the Church of Scientology, auditing is also wildly expensive and it is estimated that reaching clear will cost you at least $128,000. What? Yeah. So to like get to the promised place (gasps) where you can actually unlock your untapped potential, Mm. it's going to cost you over a hundred grand. Okay, so after becoming clear and learning how to fully embrace and control the capabilities inherent in all Thetans, the practitioner is now known as an operating Thetan or an OT. According to Scientology, OTs are not limited by physical form or the physical universe. According to the church itself, OT is a state of spiritual awareness in which an individual is able to control themselves and their environment. What? Uh-huh. So from there, many different OT levels exist, all of which promise increasingly inspiring knowledge and powers, and which, of course, cost more money to attain. At OT level three, for example, they will finally tell you that story about Xenu and the Galactic Confederacy. Oh, my But you God. can't just make it to OT. You've got to make it to OT three. Wow. Which is nuts. Okay. 
So according to official Scientology doctrine, reading and reacting to other people is the key to being successful. That's not that weird to me. And yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't to the uh, writer of this All Things Interesting article either, because the next line is, well, that's not an outlandish statement. Scientology <laughs> holds that most people are simply no good at connecting an apparent outward emotion to its true inner emotion. Created to take the mystery out of human behavior, the tone scale, so this is another aspect of it, they have an aspect of their religion called the tone scale, teaches Scientologists how to read people and provide the appropriate emotional response. So the tone scale runs from negative 40 to 40. The higher on the scale you are, the better. A score of 40 is described as the serenity of beingness, beingness, beingness. And then a 1.1, so I guess it's, they're doing all the decimals in between negative 40 and positive 40. Oh, wow. Uh, a 1.1 is considered covert hostility. Somebody who's smiling on the outside while plotting something on the inside. <laughs> and it describes someone who can't be trusted. If you don't believe in Scientology, you are a 1.1 automatically. Uh -oh. And because Scientology, like many other religions, supposedly built on love and acceptance, um, it employs a homophobic doctrine within this uh, tone scale as well. Are you serious? The tone scale aligns with sexual orientation. Oh, that's some bullshit. So if someone's gay, they're also a 1.1, a covert hostility, and they can only move up in heterosexuality and spiritual elevation through auditing. So not only is this, you know, religion gonna cost you a bunch of money but it's a conversion it's a form of conversion therapy performed by non-therapists based on a belief in someone named or a, some one called xenu from the millions of years ago <laughs> so anyway uh obviously one of the biggest elements is that the scientologists believe that all human beings have had multiple lifetimes okay you know like sure. they we come back billions of times it's okay. like an endless loop of eternal life. Hence, you know, why you want to have all of this like knowledge of how to control your environment and people's emotional responses to you. There was also something interesting that I heard where they would say like they, were, they never would differentiate between the children and the adults, right? So the children were basically expected to act like adults and their, his, L. Ron Hubbard's explaining of this was like your child could have was probably your parent at some point in your eternal life cycle so we're all one and the same in that way like and i was just like whoa yeah i can't even wrap my brain around that shit i'm yeah. like how do we get there obviously as you guys know l ron hubbard started uh he was a, a navy like ship captain and then became a pretty successful science fiction author that's right for sure. Then in 1952, he wrote a book called Dianetics, which was his belief basically in how like the state of mental health. Uh, he lost the rights to Dianetics in bankruptcy. So then he just took all his ideas from it that he no longer owned. Uh, Wait, why did he lose his? I guess that was like some like maybe like, you know, when your house gets foreclosed on, he went oh, bankrupt and oh, basically gotcha, they took gotcha. I see. his rights, I think, to like pay for staff. That's my gathering. Got you. Um, and so what he did to circumvent the fact that they were like, the, you don't have the right to this anymore is that he just started a religion where he taught the things he had written about. And, and then you could and be just, a 501c3 or whatever yeah. and be um, exempt from 
tax exempt. Tax we'll exempt. get into that, man, because I got some thoughts on that in general. <laughs> in general, um, me too. It's also, just me been too. in the news lately, so I'm sure you guys all know where we're going with that. But uh, so, I think it was 1952 when he wrote the book, and 1954, 55 when he started Scientology. Um, there's a couple other ones in here, but I just feel like it's too. I'm not going to get into it. You guys get it. There's some like yep. weird. We got it. Uh, stuff happening, some weird beliefs. A lot of it does sound like a science fiction book, you know, that that this idea that we all come from, you know, a galactical confederacy. Crazy. I mean, also, I apparently, also, apparently, each one of us was a clam at some point in our eternal life cycle. Okay. I don't know why, but he's like, imagine a clam sitting on the beach, opening and closing its shell very rapidly. And it's like the same as opening and closing our mouths and talking or something. I was like, man, you're going to have to come up with a better explanation to convince me. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I'll, although I've said it 50 times already, but I didn't know that when I wrote this out, um, <laughs> that even though the Church of Scientology was granted, actually, Vanya, was only granted religious tax exemption status in the 90s. Are you serious? Yeah. It never was uh, given that status under Ron um, L. Ron. Hubbard's oh, I leadership. did not know that. That's yeah. very interesting. Uh, Scientology is really more of a cult than a religion. Ask mm. anyone who's left it, uh, or just read about it. And also, I like to think of it as the alphabet soup of cults, because my God, the acronyms. <gasps> it's like PTS, OT, PC, VBIS, uh, SP, and I'm going to stop at SP, which stands for suppressive person. Anyone who doesn't believe in Scientology not only is really low on that tonal scale. 1.1. They're also SPs, uh, which again stands for suppressive person. Mm. And uh, all practicing Scientologists are directed to disconnect, which is that's what they call it, disconnect. Basically not talk to anyone considered an SP. That's a huge cult thing is they take people away from their families. Yeah. And this has split up families. It's broken up marriages, friendships, children and parents have been, you know, separated because one of them was considered an SP by the church. And so they their reasoning for it is that if you have any SPs in your life, your audit auditing process will be disrupted and there's no way that you can achieve the results you're looking for. Um, which basically means if you're a Scientologist, you can only hang out with other Scientologists, which to me sounds like you're in a cult. Yeah. Um, also, to become a member of the Sea Org, which are the main players in today's story, I'm going to tell you, they were both members of the Sea Org. This is like the who's who yeah. within the Scientology community. And in order to be accepted as a member into the Sea Org, you have to sign a billion year contract. Promising that you will remain eternal, like loyal for all of your eternal life, like all, which is going to be a billion years. So at minimum, you have to sign a contract for a billion but years. But that contract can't hold up in court, right? Like, or, I don't know. Is it like. I don't. I'm not sure how that works. I didn't go down. I just thought the fact that, you know, like a billion years, like beyond anyone's actual lifetime. But they're like, you they're like are you committed? All of, the, all, all of the lives that you're about to have after this one. But you all know, you, ha- yeah. you know what I always say, Avrin? Everyone's mm-hmm. just longing to belong. And they will sign it's that true. billion do- dollar contract. They or, sure you know, billion, shit will. Yeah. And what's interesting about it, too, is it seems like a lot of. Um, so in the 60s, when this religion was kind of catch and steam, if you will. Okay. And L. Ron Hubbard, like very kind of correctly recognize the power of celebrity yes and how like 
he made it his mission to try to get celebrities to join his church because he knew if he could attract that kind of member, he could get lots of monies. It's good advertising. And people would take him more seriously, you know, take the religion more seriously. And it's really just a, a money-making, clearly, like most churches. It's about the Benjamins or or the Pounds or wherever the church <laughs> is located. Um, all right, so I said, what did I say? You have to promise eternal loyalty to this religion. So I'm just saying it's a cult. It's not a religion. It's a cult. So now I'm going to tell you about Shelley Miscavige or Miscavige. I heard it both ways okay. when I was listening to thing, listening to things. She is known as the first lady of Scientology. She's also known as the lady who held auditions for Tom Cruise's new girlfriends and eventually picked Katie Holmes for the job. Uh-oh. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Well, because that's, you know, they've vehemently denied that. But several like former members of of, Sci- of the Church of Scientology have said that 100 <laughs> percent that that happened um, again. Allegedly. Sure. OK. So Shelley Miscavige or Miscavige was born Michelle Diane Barnett on January 18th, 1961, to Barney and Flo Barnett. The Barnetts were practicing seriously devout Scientologists. And this is way back in the early days. This is 1961 when she was born, and her parents were already devout Scientologists. So she's basically something of, um, uh, what's it called? A legacy child within the Scientology community, because her parents would have been some of the first people involved. Um, and so she was very much indoctrinated with the beliefs within this church from the moment she entered the world. Now, in the mid-1970s, old Elron was having some problems because the FBI had unearthed two criminal conspiracies in which Scientologists had endeavored to retaliate against investigations by journalists, and they had conspired to infiltrate law enforcement and assorted government agencies. I want you to keep the idea of infiltrating law enforcement in your back pocket. Okay, okay, okay. So now L. Ron Hubbard is on a quest to find a remote location. He had fled to um, international waters, y'all. He figured it out. They can't come get me. They can't come for me. They can't take my taxes because I know maritime law because I was a captain in the Navy. And so he fled um, on an old transport ship that he called the Apollo. He outfitted the staff in naval uniforms. He created a vaguely paramilitary organization called, you guessed it, y'all, the Sea Org, Ugh. which is still, to this day, that's like the goal. That's the who's who of Scientologists. Membership was restricted to the highest ranking and most devoted Scientologists. Among them was um, Elron's third wife, Mary Sue, who he married in 1952, right around the time that Dianetics came out. Sea Org also included a group called the Commodore's Messengers Organization. Now, the Commodore is what L. Ron Hubbard wanted everyone to call him when he was back Com- captain the in Commodore. the ship. The Commodore. The Commodore. Yeah. So the Commodore Messengers Organization um, happened to be comprised entirely of pretty teenage girls. And they were at the Commodore's beck and call, fetching him drinks, recording his utterances, relaying his commands to others, drawing his bath and lighting his Gross. cigarettes. Also, that's such a common theme, I feel like, in cults is like yeah. the the super charming, charismatic leader just surrounds himself with inappropriately young girls yeah, every sure. time. It's bizarre and horrifying. So among Hubbard's most devoted messengers was the very youngest girl on board. That was Michelle, who went by Shelley Barnett. 
She became a messenger in the early 1970s when she was 12. Okay, so she's born into this devout family. It's all she knows and believes. And at the age of 12, her dad, Barney's having a hard time. He can't hold down a job. Her mother, Flo, has like some serious emotional issues. But since they believe so, so much in the in the word of L. Ron Hubbard, they straight up are like, here you go, L. Ron. We will give you our two daughters to look after while we try to get our shit together. And they will be your messengers on your, you know, Apollo ship. At 12, they yeah. straight up handed their oh two God, daughters awful. Over, over to this church. Okay. So from then on, the kids' early education consisted of little beyond the gospel of L. Ron Hubbard, which, let's do a quick reminder here, held that people are immortal beings or thetans trapped in human bodies. Mm-hmm. Thetans are encumbered by traumas or engrams accumulated during past lives. Only through a proprietary therapeutic process known as auditing could thetans be cleared of engrams. The messengers were devoted to Hubbard. He was, after all, their de facto dad. Right. He was like the only grown up in their life. Um, but Shelley, according to several sources, she like straight up truly believed that he was God. She worshiped him. She believed in everything that he was and said. And so she hung on his every word. She, as the youngest also, I think probably like was being left out from like all the other teenage girls. Cause she's only 12. Right. And so she probably just like turned her focus then to this guy whose job it was for her to turn her focus on. All right. So, where are we? We're in the mid-70s now. And that's when Shelly finally leaves this ship. And uh, she, uh, oh, sorry, sidebar. A few years later, after she had left the ship, 11 church members who had been on board the Apollo, including Mary Sue, that would be the third wife I mentioned before, oh, right, yes. were charged with conspiracy and burglary. They were all convicted, and all of them served pr- uh, prison sentences. However, Elron himself escaped charges, but prosecutors branded him as an unindicted co-conspirator. I didn't go into it because there's too many things to go into, like when you start reading wow. about this yes, stuff. True, true. But somehow he did not get charged with anything, but his he let his wife take the fall for the shit that his church was doing that got 11 people thrown in prison. Okay. So... He's spooked out by all of the investigations into his church that seem to be going on. And he spends the final decade of his life like in paranoid madness. He saw persecutors in turncoats or, in Scientology terms, apostates everywhere. And he created an all-clear team to defuse legal threats. And although the team was composed mostly of hardened Sea Org veterans, its leader, so this team meant to basically protect him from investigation his leader was a fresh-faced 21 year old named david miscavige and i'm gonna just stick with miscavige so i don't have to say it both ways oh i know who that is yes you do tom cruise's best friend and the david and the leader yes Uh, david had also grown up in the church of scientology and by the age of 12 so when they were dropping off poor little shelly on that boat young david was already getting to uh conduct auditing sessions with full-grown adults who were joining the church so a 12 year old boy was the person who was going to teach you how to get those engrams out of your thetan or whatever the speak is at 16 he dropped out of high school and like all new sea org members signed a billion-year contract that locked him in full-time and forever david lived um, in a dormitory at the church's national headquarters in clearwater florida and now Mark Fisher, an ex-Scientologist, said this about him. He was kind of an asshole, which I love. <laughs> he would try to buddy up with you and be like, hey, man, how's it, go- how's it going? But he'd be quick to stab you in the back. If you did something wrong, he would immediately report you. 
But David's charisma played really well with the messenger girls who had been dropped off in Clearwater while L. Ron was trying to figure out what to do next now that his wife was in prison and the feds were looking into him. So among the girls who were dropped off in Clearwater, Florida, was Shelley, who soon caught David's eye. And the romance between Shelley and David began around 1978 in a rustic bubble known as Int Base or Gold Base. So there's a lot of bases, y'all, like scattered around the Southwest. Um, But uh, this one is located 90 miles east of Los Angeles. And uh, Team Hubbard had transformed a faded resort area into Scientology's international headquarters, hence Intbase. The -the state-of-the-art base included a film production studio, heavy security, and, of course, Hubbard's $10 million mansion. Right, of course. That's all on the base. So while David was known to have a hair-trigger temper that produced sudden fits of verbal and physical violence, according to several sources. At one point, he actually punched his own auditor during a session. Most of the time, he was just a fun-loving, like, rising star in the Scientology church, y'all. He was a wunderkind. (laughs) The romance... Now, the romance actually did not do anything to improve Shelley's standing with her peers. Remember, she was young, she was shy, she was super, super devoted, and she probably told on people and stuff like that. Um, but some of the girls now watching her starting up this romance with clearly a rising star in Scientology, they just thought that she was like status hungry and they often excluded her as a result. And this really, really upset her. She was obviously a lonely girl who'd been abandoned yeah. by everyone her in parents, her parents. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Yeah. But once David entered the picture, she focused on him. They married in 1982 in the Los Angeles area. How old was she? And they- so in 1982, I believe she was 21 okay. and he was 22 when they got married. Yeah, because she was born in 61. So she was 21 when she got married to 22-year-old David. So at least they're age appropriate. Totally. That's important. Definitely in a too way. young to get married. Yeah. When we're talking cults, it's always it's nice to true. see like an age appropriate right. marriage That's happen. funny that we're like, like pleasantly yeah. surprised. Yeah, we're like, oh, okay. Same ages. <laughs> only, I think I read somewhere they're only nine months apart in age. Get the <laughs> F out. Okay. For real. So... Um, after they married, they instantly became the it couple in Sea Org. Oh, my God. And their timing could not have been better. Because at around this time, the early to mid-80s, Hubbard was basically a babbling, paranoid old man. And David, because he was pretty cunning and also pretty sneaky and sly, expertly outmaneuvered his rivals. And he was selected by L. Ron himself to be his successor when he passed away. Right, row so Elrond chose David, you know, before he died. It wasn't like a he grabbed power afterwards. Right. He was the chosen he said, You're one. The one. And then in 1986, Hubbard finally died, placing Scientology's future in David's hands. Uh oh. Uh huh. Well, I mean, clearly they're not. They're doing okay. They're still going strong. It they're is crazy though. It is crazy that they're. It's pretty wild. There's like a couple things we can talk about, just like even recently in the news that I'm just like, geez, Louise. Yeah. Cheese and rice, guys. Yep, yep, okay. Yep. One of uh, David's first orders uh, of business, now that he was chairman of the board, or COB, because we got to do our acronyms, mm-hmm. you guys, was to give his wife Shelly a job befitting the first lady of Scientology. So he created the position of COB assistant. So basically, he was like, you need a title, first lady. You're my assistant. <gasps> 
So it, afford, it did afford her a large workspace that was connected to his extremely large um, workspace and building 50. It was a $70 million. I'm also like, how much money were you guys charging for these auditing sessions? Well, and it's it all, you know what else million, is yeah. a thing? They they had books, so everybody had to buy books. And mm-hmm. then they every few years, they changed the print, so they had to buy the new books. This is something Wait, I learned yeah. through um, Leah Remini's. Uh, a documentary. I am obsessed with Scientologists. Yeah, but so that's yeah. how she's she spent like at least fifty thousand dollars on books only. Oh sure, and that was like what every couple of years. And yeah. apparently, at one point, Scientology uh, they claim to have eight million active members. So that's a lot. That's a lot of coin. Okay, so this facility where he was, you know, giving her a fancy office right next to his it cost seventy million bucks. Just, you know, to yep. make sure you know that they're rich. So basically, Shelley was in charge of the dozen or so staffers who worked in the executive office. But in real terms of what her job actually was, it was it required her to be whatever the boss, a.k.a. her husband, wanted her to be at any given moment. Sounds real easygoing and stress-free, doesn't it? Just mm-hmm. like be what he needs at any given moment. And Lord knows what that will be. So sometimes she was his unofficial counselor. At other times, his valet. So such became the nature of their relationship that she was never like out of arm's reach with him because she needed to be nearby to give him whatever he needed at a moment's notice. So she, wherever he was, she was within arm's length of him. Yuck. So, so, so sad. Um, and, uh, she, you know, also, sorry, I lost my place. But it, she wasn't the only one that was always just an arm's reach away. On the other side, flank in his other arm, if you will, was um, Loris, they call her Lou Stuckenbrock, a beautiful statuesque New Zealander who functioned as David's communicator. I don't know what that means. Like, should she speak for him? I I couldn't get into it. But anyway, so these two women are basically like holding, propping this, you know, behind every cult leader is two strong, messed up ladies. Yeah, Am I right? Yes, you All are. right. So uh, when the couple would go out, uh, sorry, so at this point in their marriage, they were married in 82, he took over in 86. So maybe they had a couple good years in there. Um, but by this point, now that he's like the leader of Scientology, right. it really seems now like their relationship is more like work. Like he doesn't seem like her husband as much as he seems like her boss. Ew. And uh, when the couple would go out at night, they were often accompanied by David's devotees. So they weren't like having ever any being alone or having like, intimate right did they time. have children they do not have children and when they would come home after those dinners out with all of the people who just adore david um they retired to separate bedrooms says several sources so mark headley who worked closely with the miscavages said in that vanity fair article quote i never ever ever saw them kiss I was there for 15 years, so I had plenty of opportunities to witness them together and never, ever saw them affectionate with each other. I'm talking about being in a room with four other people, informal, we're all just chatting, and he isn't even touching her. Odd, odd, odd couple, said another former Sea Org member, Tom DeVocht. There was obviously a working relationship, but odd. I don't think I once saw Miscavige hug or kiss or anything, Shelley. I spent a lot of time with them, and there was zero affection. So, unsurprisingly, based on the fact that even other people are like, it's weird you never touch your wife. Right. <laughs> it's strange. Like, we're all close friends. Um, Shelly was, like, convinced that David was cheating on her. Uh, and she started to obsess over her makeup, her hair, her weight. She 
you know, she would rigidly adhere to, you know, diets and it made her, she was very skinny, very skinny. Um, and this also really messed up a lot of relationships with certain female colleagues because she was suspicious that everyone was having an affair with her husband. So not only is she hungry, being bossed around constantly yeah. by a pretty ill-tempered fella who then, you know, whatever. I anyway. mean, there's stories so, where he slaps so many people. He, he hits so, um, he we're hits a lot there. of people. <laughs> his thing is to literally physically assault people. That's like his jam. Um, he's known for it. Okay. David's ex-colleagues do say, however, regarding her suspicions, that they never saw him philandering. Mm-hmm. So while she thought that's what was going on, nobody and all the people that were constantly around him ever saw him actually cheat on her. Yeah. Um, but they do describe him as surrounding himself, like all good cult leaders do, with servile young beauties. So he didn't have sex with them, but he just made sure he was always surrounded by young, pretty girls. Now... The parallels to the L. Ron Hubbard, who also liked to do that, was not lost on Shelley, who was trying to like roll back this notion of right because she was a twelve-year-old with L. Ron. Yes. yes, and she was like, "We're not doing this whole yeah. thing," because you know when they got married, they were sa- they had like they held the same position, the same level in Sea Org. They were they were equals yeah. until he took over. You know, so she probably when it started, she did not look at him as like I now worship you. No, you know. Uh-uh. Um. And she didn't want to become another Mary Sue, you know, a loyal wife who was basically abandoned and left to go to prison. Yeah. Uh, and then came the bad PR. Uh-oh. You guys remember the bad PR? There's been a lot of it. There's still a lot of it, honestly. But uh, it started, I believe, like in the early 2000s. Also, Tom Cruise, that's when he started acting kind of weird, you know, like doing, you know, th- just things that were calling attention to yeah. some of the stranger elements of this religion that otherwise just was known for having famous people as being members. But um, David becomes completely paranoid that people in his inner circle are like the reason for all of this bad PR, that they're like telling people that there's a bunch of, what did I call them, SPs? Suppressive. Bunch of, yeah, suppressive people. A bunch of SPs were hiding within his inner circle. Now, the first big trigger in this thinking involved the case of Lisa McPherson. She was a Scientologist who suffered a fatal pulmonary embolism after 17 days of a Scientology auditing process designed to treat her mental instability. P.S. Even though not they're not licensed therapists performing these auditing sessions, they also actively don't believe in the practice of psychiatry. What? Like, like if you're a Scientologist, you can't take psyche i can't take drugs for mental illness and you can't see professional oh, you can talk to your auditor bullshit. and we now know that even 12 year old david muscovage vage vage was an auditor yeah so like a child will fix your mental health problems because of all of the many lives they had before this one they have infinite knowledge stupid okay it's insane um the church actually faced two felony charges when this young girl died, but they were later dropped when the medical examiner changed the cause of death from undetermined to an accident. <clears throat> wonder why he did that. In order to settle a civil suit, the church paid McPherson's family an undisclosed sum. So that case ended up settling, but it was bad PR. A young, sev- a young lady died after basically she was audited for 17 days straight and had an aneurysm. All right. Then there was the PR nightmare caused by a gathering stream of defectors, defections, including some from the highest levels 
of Sea Org. So people who had reached this like top place, all of a sudden they started defecting or they call it, they blew. That was like the, like when someone blew, it has something to do with the Navy and the, the boats. Okay. But um, I just thought that was kind of bizarre. I'm like, okay, just say defected or left. Um, That's so weird. Sorry. No. And, and when all of these big time members defected, then they started talking, right? So they're saying that David would um, systematically terrorize, humiliate, and abuse Sea Org members, especially those he suspected of being SPs. That when he himself wasn't punching, choking, or shoving his staff, uh, his staff, he ordered his lieutenants to do it for him. So if he wasn't beating you up, that's some who crazy was asking ass that guy shit, to beat you man. up. Now this guy is literally in charge of like a maybe a billion dollar organization and he's fully physically assaulting all the people that work for him. I, I don't know. It just to me, I'm like, how is this allowed to happen? But obviously there are people like the people that finally see the truth who leave, yeah. who then try to share the truth. Um, but cults are hard for some people to walk away from. Okay. So he didn't just beat people up though. If he believed that you were an SP you were routinely spirited to a secret detention facility that was like straight up something out of like what they do like in the North black Korea. Site. It's actually really scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. Um, and the young and people you too. Would, young people hire all the people. But basically to be in one of these facilities was to spend months or years eating a subsistence diet. So, so, a, so you don't die diet of rice and beans performing menial tasks included reportedly. This is alleged just, so you know, reportedly scrubbing bathrooms with your tongue. Oh, God. I I was like, really? Um, And not being allowed to see anyone outside of this base where you were being basically imprisoned, including your own family. That to escape from Sea Org or to blow, as they say, would generally necessitate a mad dash past armed guards and spiked. So to get out, you had to like straight up like you were busting out of prison. You had to run past the armed guards and get over the spiked fences. Then you'd be harassed and dis- all your family would have to disconnect from you because you're an SP. All of your friends would have to disconnect from you. And you're fucked if you try to leave the church, basically. So defectors like Jefferson Hawkins, who had been a longtime Sea Org member, said that David Miscavige meted out his harshest abuse to those in his inner circle, whom he blamed for all of these scandals. Lieutenants were often sentenced to a squalid makeshift prison at one of the bases called the Hole, mm-hmm. which at one time it was up to 120. Basically, you guys, this was an office in one of the office buildings on a base that one day he put all these people he believed to be SPs. They're like, come into the conference room for a meeting. Then he shut the door and he locked it and he didn't let them out. And some of them are still imprisoned there, although now they get to go home at night and sleep in a shitty apartment and come back in the morning. That's like a literal thing. He had bars put up on the walls and just locked them in this office that room. That cannot be legal. It's not legal. That is kid. That's kidnapping, right? Like once you, if you hold captivity, yeah. you hold someone against their will. I don't know. I guess these people are not willing to say that they were unwilling to be in that office. Yeah, they're scared. So as David rose, you know, to power and prominence, he became more and more bitter. And Shelley kind of emulated her husband's behavior. So a lot of people thought she was a horrible bitch, that she was just as bad as David, which in a lot of respects is true because her job was to do his bidding. Mm. But people who knew her personally will say that underneath it all, she was actually a nice person. 
Shelly's core decency seemed clear to other former colleagues as well. She encouraged staff to volunteer and help local community, which is not in their doctrine. Like right. they never mentioned anything about helping others that aren't that aren't believers, you know. And so she didn't believe that. She was like, you should go out and do good in your community. Um, whenever a Sea Org member would fall ill, she was the one who made sure that they received ample care. Now, her niece, Jenna Miscavige Hill, who like pretty famously, she wrote a book. She defected. Oh, she blew. Really? If you will. Yeah, this is her niece. Um, she recalls a conversation in which Shelley inquired about uh, Jenna, Jenna's parents who had fled the church. Now, Jenna assumed that she was fishing for intel, but she recalls that Shelley said, no, I'm not interested in that. I just meant, how are they doing personally? Like, so in private conversations, she was like, no, I just want to know they're okay. I know it's hard. They lost all their family, you know, that's still here. So apparently there was actually a very sweet, soft side that she just you know, didn't get to show a lot. Um, her niece also detected a strong maternal instinct in Shelly, who did not have children of her own, but she seemed to compensate for this by mentoring messenger girls. Now, another weird thing about Scientology mm. that they don't talk about is that they actually really strongly encourage people not to have kids, and they help get abortions, like, done for people. I don't know if they... I'm not exactly sure what that is. I think maybe L. Ron Hubbard just hated kids, which is why he's like, don't treat them like kids. Don't have fun. Like You're not be. kids. Yeah. You were actually my parent once. Act like it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Or whatever Wouldn't that, that be great if was. I did that? I'm like... Like tonight, yeah. we had a meltdown for... Because I wanted them to have, you know, nutritious meals and everyone lost their shit. And I was like, You're an adult. Treat yourself like... <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but... No, seriously, just be like, then you cook me dinner. That's right. Let's see what you can do. Mommy needs you to cook me dinner. <laughs> okay, so, right. Um, so, like I mentioned, she didn't have kids, but it seemed like she maybe had wanted to. And she seemed to compensate for this by mentoring messenger girls, like those little she young was. girls, like she had been. Even in adulthood, Shelly proudly wore a necklace with L. Ron Hubbard's messenger symbol on it. And then this is a quote from her niece, Jenna. She told me a lot of fucked up things that really messed with my mind, she said. She also uh, blew, if you will, in 2005, her niece has left the church. Okay. But she believed those things because she had to, to live that life. Her mom ditched her. She was royally screwed over in a misfit, from what I understand. She wasn't just the butt-kissing zombie that a lot of others were. I feel like what she did was because of her faith in Hubbard, not to improve her own status. Like, that she she was yeah. a genuine believer. Like, she truly believed in um, L. Ron Hubbard with every fiber of her being. So even those who dislike Shelley... They still couldn't help but feel sorry for her because mm. uh, most of the members of the church would not dare approach the first lady. And so as a result of that and her inherent shyness and kind of awkwardness, she was often like lonely and isolated. She didn't have any friends and she clearly did not have a friend in her husband. Mm -mm. Um, and although Shelley rarely discussed her family, she did indicate to several people over the years that her childhood pre becoming the Commodore's messenger gal was horrible. Really? Her parents had gotten divorced. Now, Shelly actually still maintained like a relationship with her dad until he passed away in 2007 and she loved him. But her mother was a different and might I say completely insane story. Really? Okay. So this is a sidebar true crime ish, okay, but directly involved. It, it involves um, Shelly's mother, her actual mother, okay. Flo, who we've mentioned a couple of times. So, 
1985. That would be a year before uh, David took over after Elron passed away and three years after he and Shelly got married. The year 1985. Flo resigned, or I, I mean, I've never heard it described as resigned yet, but resigned from Scientology. And so she left the Church of Scientology and she took with her confidential upper level materials that she refused to return and this enraged David her daughter Shelley and probably L. Ron Hubbard and several other high-ranking Scientologists then then on five Flo was found dead of what police deemed a suicide although if you ask me how a five foot three woman could shoot three bullets into her chest with a long barrel shotgun and then still find the strength after messing it up, shooting herself three times in the chest, to go for it one more time and shoot herself in the head. I find that suspicious. Absolutely I find that super, suspicious. super, super suspicious. And But remember how I how told you... How was that deemed a suicide? I was going to say, remember when I said to keep the Scientology practice of infiltrating law enforcement in your back pocket? Mm, okay, yep. yes, okay. So they deemed it a suicide. Now, Shelley's reaction when she heard about her mother's suicide, in quotations there was, well, good riddance to that bitch. Like she said that in a room full of people about her mom. So clearly there's some mommy issues going on there. And also, yes, you guys, I am alleging that maybe David or L. Ron Hubbard or other high-ranking Scientologists killed Flo and paid the police to call it a suicide. I'm straight up alleging that. I'm not saying it's a fact. I'm just alleging it as a possibility. You know, they they paid or they had one of their people to do it, but yeah. Yeah, and I also think, you know, um, when I mentioned the... uh, the cause of death when the charges got dropped, like the medical examiner changing it from undetermined to accidental. I think just a little bit of that auditing cash just changed mm-hmm. hands there. It was something they'd been practicing since the 60s, you guys. Right. You got to have people in law enforcement and government agencies. It's just smart business. Okay. So, although she, Shelley, could clearly come across as mean and or bitter see the reaction she had to her mom's death saying good right. bitch um many members actually regarded shelly as sea org's most valuable shock absorber she was a master at back channel diplomacy so as, we, as we've mentioned david was fucking violent yeah. physically violent not just verbally abusive which he was also that but physically violent and would make all kinds of crazy threats so gary moorhead who was a former sea org member so again another like defected member who had been head of security at int base says many church members have and had and still have no idea just how much Shelley protected them on the sly. She would adjust some of the church's most outrageous policies. When one of David's rages pretended violence, Shelley was the first and final line of defense. She'd try to be discreet, employing a light nudge or a soothing whisper. Other times, she'd try to gently steer him out of the room. Let's let's go. Let's not do this today. And there were times when he'd hit somebody, knock them off a chair, and kick them. And when he'd go in for more, she would physically stop him and hold him back to the best of her ability. So by 2004, you guys, our girl Shelly, she is stressed. Oh, God. She is not sleeping. She was being run ragged. And because of that, she was often in a bad mood. And that is where her reputation for being just as bad as David came from. But I don't think she was ever an evil person. I think she was just trapped in a cult with a maniac of a husband whose violent outbursts were her job to stop. And she never even got so much as a smooch or a quick snuggle for her efforts. And I would be motherfucking cranky too. I would be too. Oh my God. 
Could you tell I actually maybe practiced saying that one? I love it, and it was very much appreciated. God dang. What (gasps) the heck? All right, so we're now in 2004. (gasps) Poor Shelly. I know, poor Shelly. Obviously, I just can't imagine the burden of that, like all of that being on you. But and also, also like, just never having support as as a young person, and not having any friends because everyone yeah. thinks you're mean, or they think they shouldn't talk to you because you're the boss's wife. But then also having this like really mean man who you married, you know, just ruining yeah. your whole love for this religion that uh, you've been in since birth. All right. right. So we're in 2004, and the marriage is clearly. It's been strained, obviously, for a while. Yeah. We're not kissing or touching or sleeping in the same bed for 15 years. Like, not much of a marriage. So let's say, this, let's say this colleague situation, it's getting pretty strained. And the yeah. cracks, they're starting to show. So while the first 20 years of their marriage, as I mentioned, she was never more than, like, an arm's length away from him. She was in all, any, like, social things that they, you know, anytime they were photographed, she was there. She was always right there for the first 20 years. But people start to notice around 2004 that, like, he's doing a lot of traveling and stuff and making appearances, and she's not there, Um, which was a weird, noticeable change. And then in late 2006, according to multiple multiple sources, Shelley was given an impossible project. So many Sea Org officers had tried and failed to satisfy David's wish for a new and improved org board, which is basically like a corporate reshuffling trying to fill these positions out, you know, like who's going to do this role on the the org board. So I'm guessing the organization's board. Okay. Um, several people had attempted to like fill these positions, like suggestions. And he was like, no fucking way. Probably kicked them, you know? Uh, <laughs> so now Shelly has been tasked with doing this and she spends months of like round the clock drafting and redrafting and moving people and moving people. And David is reject, rejects everything that she comes up with. Now at this point, they're not even in the same place. Like, David's in L.A. They're going to release uh, some more texts, some new updated texts. Of course. And all that. So, so he's hanging out in L.A. where their publishing company is located. And she's still at the int base, right? And then for reasons that uh, only Shelly knows, she made two executive decisions without getting her husband's okay first. She disseminated the chart and she just she finished the org board and didn't run it by him. And she's like, here's our new board. This is your job, your job, your job. Congratulations, everyone. We can finally stop worrying about this. Uh-oh. And uh, she also, sorry, I lost my place. She also facilitated, um, sorry, in order to facilitate renovations on David's living quarters at the Int base, she had some of his belongings boxed up and moved to a temporary housing unit because that was what was holding up the you know yeah the uh, the renovations was because he wouldn't move his stuff even though they're like we can't start till you move it and he's like whatever why haven't you started so she had it moved and then he found out he touched her fucking stuff and she thought she could just make choices about the org board without him and he flipped his freaking lid you guys and it was very clear after david discovered these two things that she did without getting his permission first that within days of this shelly knew that she was on borrowed time. She Uh-oh. was in big trouble. She st- she told her domestic staff not to bother taking care of her, that she could make her own meals. And she'd say, it's all right. And she'd be very like undeserving, reserved. Like she knew she was in trouble. And soon Shelly was stripped of her duties. So she's no longer the COB assistant. And then in 2007, 
her dad passed away, and she attended her father's funeral flanked by a Scientology handler. So she basically was like being watched while she attended her father's uh, funeral. And that was the last time anyone has ever seen Shelley in public. It was at her father's funeral in 2007. So right around the same time, it begins to seem as if our first lady of Scientology, she never existed at all. Claudio, or Claudio Lugli, Lugli, the Miscavige's clothing designer, says that he was told, you don't have to do Shelley's clothes anymore because she's on a special project. Sea Org never discussed her sudden disappearance and its members were not really um, brave enough to ask. The rare exception was Leah Remini, mm-hmm. whose famed brassiness proved problematic for Sea Org. It was actually at Tom Cruise's wedding where he's, she straight up helped audition for this role. Not Leah, Shelley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't at Tom Cruise's wedding. David mm. was there. David was the best man. I remember I said they were besties. Uh, but his wife wasn't there. And out loud in front at the wedding of the century, filled with all of the most important Scientologists, Leah said just innocently, where's Shelly? Well, according to Leah, uh, after asking that, she was told to shut up and mind her own business. But then Christmas came and went and she and Shelly were friends and they always like she would send her a gift and she'd always get a beautiful like handwritten thank you note. So when Christmas came and she never got the thank you card for the gift that she had sent her, um, she started just asking. She wouldn't she wouldn't shut up and mind her own business. She's like, no, seriously, where is Shelly? You guys like, don't you think it's weird that she was always there and now she's nowhere and nobody knows where she is and she's not writing letters or responding to like correspondence. And she is pressing and pressing. And the harder she pressed, the more the church stonewalled her. And this stalemate lasted for seven years. Oh, wow. Before. uh, Sorry. Seven years, during which time Shelley's whereabouts were largely unknown by the outside world and never spoken of by her husband. And then in 2013, Leah Remini very publicly broke with Scientology, as we all know Mm -hmm. she did. And one of the very first things she did was go to the LAPD and file a missing persons report for... Shelly Miscaval. So, two days after she filed the missing person report, the media caught wind of, like, this story. And so they started sharing the story about, like, not only did she break with Scientology, but she also has filed a missing person report for the president or the leader of Scientology's wife, who apparently no one's seen in eight years. Um, And so as that story is coming out, the LAPD actually publicly comes forward and they say, hey, we actually we we got this report. We investigated. We spoke with Shelly. She's not missing. She's not missing, you guys. And she did not want to make a public statement because uh, she doesn't want to. (laughs) Or, you know, like they basically said we talked to her, but she has nothing to say, but she's not missing. So they have no statement from her. But the LEPD says they talked to her. Are they sure it's her? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of questions. So here, when asked, um, when asked by, I think probably just reporters, if they had spoken to her alone or if she had been in the presence of other Scientology, like church members, when the police were talking to her, the police straight up said, uh, "We can't tell you that. That's classified information." Which I might be wrong, but I just feel like that's not a police term. It's I feel not like classified. classified is like a like government. Yeah. stuff like clearance level security but i don't think like within police departments there's like that's classified um also why would that be classified like did you interview her alone or were there other people in the room um but they straight up said it's classified again i'm just saying i think there's a lot of cops that might 
if not be Scientologist, make a lot of money off of them. Mm-hmm. All right. So then uh, Leah Remini, she made a public records request for the police file that would have had to have been made for the interview that they had. Good. Because you can do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, she was denied her her, her request. So here's the, my question. Is the LAPD in David's pocket? Did the or these are my questions, not my yeah. question. Uh, so is LAPD dirty here? Did they actually even speak to her? Did do they know that who they spoke to was her or are they just lying and said they spoke to her when they didn't? Now, that I don't actually think is what happened. Um, but I think we can all agree that if she had been in the company of other um, high ranking members, there's no way she was going to say anything bad. Like, I'm being held here against my yeah. will. Please help me. Because immediately all of these people in the room were going to let David know. And, you know. Uh, we saw what happened to her mom. Yeah. Uh, so again, I'm alleging that that's never been proven. <laughs> um, but the question today is like, is she a prisoner or is she just a private person who doesn't want to live her life in the limelight? She just, obviously her relationship with her husband was no good anymore. Does she just want to go away and like do her Scientology, you know, beliefs oh, and yeah. studies? But is he moved on? Does he have other mates? Well, it's interesting. Not really. I mean, technically, they're still married. Exactly. Yeah. So over time, a handful of journalists have concluded that Shelley was being housed at one of the church's secretive and tightly controlled outer bases. So I've told you about like the Int base. Yeah. Um, Oh, they have a lot of the bases. But there's like these secret outer bases that most Sea Org members are never even told about these outposts. Which serve to protect the church's most precious possessions and operations. So most even high-level people don't know about these places, right? right? Now, they are located in both California and New Mexico. And there's currently a base. Well, I guess this was written in 2014, the article I got all this from. So it, maybe it's complete by now. But in 2014, there was a base in Wyoming that was under construction. Now, let me give you an example. The Trementina, Trementina, Trementina base, which is in northeastern New Mexico, serves as a repository for Hubbard's writings and films. The former are engraved on steel tablets, entombed in titanium casings, and buried in underground vaults. So they got a whole base, you guys, where they they literally scratched into stone the things that L. Ron Hubbard said and then encased them in titanium and put them into the ground to preserve them for all That's eternity. But most people believe that Shelley's whereabouts were at the base that was about that was outside Los Angeles. Wow, Avran. Los, Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles. That was located near Lake Arrowhead. Now, this roughly 500-acre site is known as both, or sorry, there's three things it's known by, Twin Peaks, Rim Forest, or CST. Now, the first two names, Twin Peaks and Rim Forest, are just like nearby towns, the names okay. of those towns. Yeah. But um, CST uh, is a, another acronym in our alphabet soup cult here for Church of Spiritual Technology. Now, this is the wing that is responsible um, uh, for Scientology's copyrights and archival work. All right. They are creating the archive to end all archives to share with all the future eternal generations that are still to come. And according to a former Sea Org member who oversaw much of its construction, 
This space includes, in addition to a luxurious log cabin that is all set up and primed for Hubbard's return, because guess what? That's another thing, guys. There will be a second coming, remember? We have multiple lives. We're just waiting to see who Elrond is in this next one when we find out it's him, you know, because he'll know. He reached all the levels. Right. So they've got a beautiful log cabin there for his return. But they also have a second structure that has been designed to protect the church's VIPs, such as David and Tom Cruise. In the event of a nuclear Armageddon. And they believe that this base is where Shelley was sent. So the only people who enter this, this base are it's about two dozen or so Sea Org members who they live there full time. Now, most people assigned there consider the posting an honor because to be at the CST is to be safeguarding the world of L. Ron Hubbard. It's like your job to make sure that nothing ever happens to everything he ever wrote, everything he ever said. Um, However, they are constantly monitored by a security apparatus that includes armed guards, infrared cameras, and spiked fences. So it might be an honor, but it's also a prison. Right. (laughs) Now, and again, that's also a thing they do. They just lock you in that conference room and never let you out. So multiple sources believe that Shelley was sent to Twin Peaks straight from Inchbase. Like David freaked out. She knew immediately she was on borrowed time. And so... In 2000, I think that was six when that happened. Uh, she was immediately like dragged out of the base and taken to the other base. So she was taken from Int Base, taken to the uh, Twin Peaks. I like that it's a creepy name too. Yeah. Now, according, uh, and then when she entered Twin Peaks, she was now going to be put under investigation by members of the church. So according to Mike Rinder and Mark Rathbun, who have firsthand knowledge of such procedures of what it means to be under investigation, this would have involved a sec check in which security personnel would put her through repeated interrogations designed to elicit confessions, repentance, and submission. Sec checks are routinely administered for even the smallest slight. Everything she said would have been relayed to her husband, who ultimately banished her to endure several months of auditing and reprogramming, followed by several months of menial labor until she finally evinced satisfactory degrees of contrition, obeisance, and clarity. So basically, she was like forced to go through all of the auditing and get basically like. But this bitch has been doing it since she was like born. Yeah, no, but I like whatever, you know, she thought she could do something without her husband's permission. They got to get that out of her. Mm. Um, so now it's possible that uh, Shelly was shuffled to some other base since this time. Like she was definitely initially brought there. Uh, but most sources who know who knew her well say that she'll probably stay at the Twin Peaks. If she is, in fact, at Twin Peaks, she'll probably stay there for as long as is required of her. And not because she has to, but because she wants to. Because according to um, another former member, she lives in a sort of demented, altered universe. Whatever she might think of David Miscavige. Why can't I pronounce that last name? She is devoted to Hubbard. That's the only life that she's ever known. And there, she would never choose to walk away from it, according to people who knew her well. So while we may never actually know, there are people that think she's dead. I think Leah Remini thinks there's a strong possibility that she's dead um, because there's no communication. um, And if she's not dead, she may very well be being held captive. And it is, of course, entirely possible that she's like, yes, I got busted by my husband. I'm obviously not, you know, a high ranking member anymore, but I do choose to stay here where at least. But can't you like 
I don't know. I just why can't don't, you just like tell people you're okay then? But I also or feel like like you, the like, courts have, need to be like you have to come and show your yourself. I know. Well, that's the thing. I'm telling you. I think they got the courts in their pocket. So the greatest tragedy most people believe when it comes to the 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 disappearance of Shelley Miscavell is that she's probably the only person on planet earth who could end all of this tomorrow. She just walked into the offices of like the FBI and she was like, Hey, this is where all the fucking bodies are buried. This is what he did with this. This is what he did with that. Uh, she could burn the whole thing down in a nanosecond. She, she knows everything and that is what makes her dangerous. And that is why many people believe that she's being held against her will. If she is not dead, that, that he's like, she cannot ever be allowed to speak to anyone because she knows too much. It's too bad. She should have been the, the ringleader of the cult. And then we'd be telling that story. I mean, what? It's just, it's just wild. So that is the story of like, you know, the vanishing queen of Scientology. Like what happened to her? Where is she? And it's something that like Leah Remini is definitely very much still asking yeah. questions about. Um, I haven't watched all of it, but I watched a couple episodes of... You know her, the yeah, aftermath. Yeah, I did too. I did too. And it's, it's very interesting. Good. Some of it, it gets boring yeah. a little bit. Like, I'm like, like, okay, a lot of, It's Leah. very repetitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, exactly. uh, but I mean, she, you can tell, like, this, her whole, like, breakdown and break yes, up yes. from the church is because she asked too many questions about where Shelly went. Wow. Wow. That's, like, that's the catalyst, you know? And then, on top of that, I didn't want to get into it, like, full time. But, I mean, even right now, right, the the current bullshit you know situation that we're learning about Scientology is that they actively covered up three different rapes committed by Danny Masterson from that 70s show who was a member they actively covered up three how can they cover it up though I'm sure they probably like tried to get people to sign like NDAs and paid them off but eventually you know sometimes people are like fuck it I'll give the money back this guy needs to go to prison but that's like the current in the news one, you know, and then there's the crazy stories like Flo, who somehow managed to shoot herself four times in an act yeah. of suicide with a shotgun. That's not possible. Like, that's right? more crazy than Nirvana, um, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Who shot himself once in the head with mm-hmm. a shotgun because it's impossible to shoot yourself with a sh- shotgun. I guess it's not impossible. It's otherwise. Not. It- it wouldn't be ruled a suicide in, in any case if but it was three acted times. actually. But to be as tiny as she was, to have managed to not only shoot herself with a shotgun, but to shoot herself three times, but not quite get the job done. But she shot me in the chest, like legit wounds. She still managed to get it right and get it in the head for the fourth shot. Nobody That's shoots stupid. himself four times. No. Mm-mm. And so that to me is just like such. Such strong evidence that there is. Oh my God. Well, I hope. Some, uh, uh, yeah, I hope we don't where get. It gets crazy. I hope we don't get. You know, disappeared after talking about this. But I feel like they don't. They're not listening to rom crime. They're busy trying to fight a remedy. Obviously, we we're just a blip in the map. But still, it's like it's scary. Uh, yeah, I thought you would enjoy a story about. I a love cult. it because I know you love a cult, and I know you GD loved Top Gun Maverick. I so did. I was like, Let's tie it in with something a l- not light by any stretch, but maybe a little less dark than some some of the places I've I mean, taken you. It is. It has its darkness. There are people like pris- imprisoned all over this yeah. in the United States under this. Oh my God! That are that are are they were ra- a lot of them are like just like Shelley. They were born into this. It's yeah. all they've ever known. So sad. And so it seems like the people that that are that do defect that do walk away are mostly people that like came to the church 
like in their 20s. Right. You know, like they found it later in life so that they actually know things outside of these beliefs. And they're the ones that like start to be like, uh, this seems weird. Like, also, wrong. you can't take freedom away from anybody. Like, no, you just can't do and it. You shouldn't. You also shouldn't like shake people down for everything they have for well, a that's promise. Huge, yeah. A promise that you guarantee is a hundred percent effective as long as your intentions are a hundred percent honest. It's like exactly. we can't prove that. Either. I mean, it's just such a con. Yeah, yeah. But I had one last thing. Do you have any? Scientology stories I personal do. from like living in New York because I have one I remember 42nd Street yep that's much exactly where mine happened they were very aggressive there man in they, the, sure they had were. red red parkas mm-hmm. yeah I just I'd see them a lot and they just don't leave you alone no and they just they want it they want to give you the word so bad so my story goes a little deeper so the exact same place you're talking about the Scientology Center on 42nd Street I had gone with uh a couple of friends, including Samara, to see if we could get like like standing room or with student discount tickets. Oh yes, for Pillow Man in, on Broadway. Oh, funny, but it's in like uh, you know, it's in the Broadway. Oh yeah, it's right know, there Broadway. amongst all the theaters, right by mm-hmm. that McDonald's, I think too, right? Um, but anyway, so we uh, were able to score tickets to the matinee. Yes, like a Wednesday afternoon of Pillow Man, and we had some time to kill, right? And we're a bunch of theater kids, you know, are obviously, <laughs> and yeah. Somebody starts asking us to come in and we all kind of look at each other and like, should we just go watch this fucking movie and see what what they keep talking about? So we we accepted their invitation. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Into the center where we watched like a 15 minute video. That's another thing. There's like Scientology TV that exists. If she is not a captor or dead, why wouldn't you have her? Because her belief is so real. Like, why wouldn't you have her? participate in some kind of like new training video just to exactly. prove to everyone there she is yeah um it's just all so sorry i didn't mean to jump back into the i'm with you though the case i'm, I'm thinking so about we watched it. this movie and all i really remember besides being like this is insane <laughs> like what do you mean like i have all this trauma from the womb but i remember seeing that one of the things that they tell you when you practice scientology is that any woman who gives birth must remain 100 percent silent Oh, right. Because if she is to scream or make any sounds of pain or agony or like, you know, she's bearing a child, she is to suggest that's what's happening to her. That will forever imprint on her uh, baby's phaeton or whatever and fuck it up for life. That's so silly. I was like, the funniest thing I've ever heard. That was the moment for me where I was like, I don't know how anyone buys into this shit. And then they tried to make me buy, me and the other people, I was with, they buy the book. And we were of like, course. we're good. But I do feel like I get it now. Yeah. So thank you for the uh, the education. So I got a free little uh, 15 minute movie date with the cult of Scientology. Yeah, we got chased down the street. Wow. I forgot who I was with, but it was like intense. It was snowing like and they, it was like, ah. I know. You're like, does that really work for you guys? I know. That's, I guess, the one thing that is more churchy than culty. <laughs> About them. Right, right. Cults are pretty specific when they're zeroing in on the types of people. But but you know what? Churches give away the Bibles. That's true. Churches are like, come on in or here's the word. That's true. Churches do give away the Bibles and churches don't pay taxes. But that means that churches can't talk about politics. That's right. That's the one thing I did say we should talk about because that's. um, I know. That's insane to me. Like to think 
Like, of course, I feel like people, I feel like perfect sense, but of course, pastors all over this country. I feel like people have forgotten either way. Yeah. I think people straight up forgot. So the fact that certain, you know, educated, I think it was like a a person who worked for the IRS who was Was like in the, in the congregation. Yeah. Was yeah a member of the congregation. You can't actually. Wait a minute. You can't say that. You don't pay taxes. Yeah. And now all of these people are like, I'm going to go see what's being said at the local church about the presidents. But you know what? I, I, I volunteer with a bunch of different organizations and one of the organizations is for my kid's school and it is a, a, you know, 501C. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Yes. And you're, yeah, you're just not, it's a, it's an election year. Not every year is an election year. And, you know, we just get a little reminder. You, you, we can't do that because we don't want to lose our, this was before all this stuff happened and it was kind of like a weird reminder. We're like, Oh, Oh, Okay. And I was like, you can't back someone. You can't back anybody. But if you do, there are rules. Like, for example, if we did want to have someone who was running for the board, we would have to. We could. We could hold some like a an event, but every single person have to have equal time. So you just can't like it's it's so interesting. You can't show favoritism. Exactly. You can't say like Donald Trump won the election. Yeah. And not pay taxes yeah. as a yeah. as a church. But I think like that's you, so funny that I know this yeah. on a different realm that's not right, like that religious. You learned it, yeah, you learned it through the PTA. And elections. before even all this stuff came out with like the mm-hmm. news that we're that you're talking about. So Yeah. Fascinating stuff, guys. Well, Vanya, I'm sorry, I hope I didn't go on too long. So no. obviously you know everything about the cult um, already. Well, but I, I didn't, didn't know, know about the, the mis- criminals. Yeah, today. no, I love it. I'm missing Queen. I did not know that. Um I hope that we learn some more. I, I do, do have to tinkle. God, this has been the best, though. It's my favorite episode, guys, so far. I'm not even Yay! joking. You guys, you're <laughs> listening to Vanya's favorite episode. Woo! All right. Well, we love the the just the bejesus out we of do, you, we do. criminals. We do. And we're going to see you next, next Tuesday. Yeah, we are. <laughs> have a wonderful uh, time in the meantime. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening.